2020, the year that none of us will forget, but many of us want to. I'm Stephanie Carson. On this week's Kicker by Carolina Public Press, we talk to our managing editor at CPP, Frank Taylor, and reflect on a year that no one could predict. We'll talk about our top news stories and get into a little inside baseball of how we've confronted the pandemic crisis internally and how that's impacted the coverage we offer you. I don't know that we've ever had a year quite like this. A lot of times when we do, we do look every year at you know what the top stories were and look back. Um, I think we know, and boy, I hate to use this phrasing with this one, but the story that took the air out of the room was the story that made it hard to breathe for a lot of people, and it's not a not really a laughing matter. But COVID, obviously, not only was the top story of the year, but it was the story that cast a shadow over almost everything else. And I remember in the beginning of the year, you know, I am often involved in planning events with Carolina Public Press, and we started to become aware of COVID as uh, as event planners and thinking maybe we can't do these in-person forums. And, you know, in my mind, and now I feel naively, I thought, there's no way. It's not going to be a big deal. This is going to get taken care of before it really hits our shores. And boy, were we wrong. Yeah, I remember, and, and, you know, we did an adjustment. You and I were both part of that. And that was really kind of looking back, that was an amazing thing. It's like, where did we get that adrenaline burst? But we did an adjustment in mid-March to really orient ourselves uh, toward a real focus on what was happening and it was needed, but we really didn't anticipate it. The information just wasn't good. Nobody knew how long it was going to go. And I think we thought there was a good chance we'd be in a different state than we are now, um, especially with the numbers we're seeing surging. Uh, and then just a number of things where this has just gone in different directions than we could have expected. But that's the nature of the business we've chosen. And with COVID, um, you know, there's multiple outlets covering it. I know at Carolina Public Press, as usual, we tried to take a behind, you know, underneath the hood, if you will, look at, okay, here's the numbers, but what does this mean? What does this mean for congregate settings like prisons and nursing homes? And um, and that's a lot of, you know, what began with, with our coverage of that in March and April. We have a track record of of really spending time taking it putting attention on people that we feel like are forgotten and particularly people who are vulnerable and and maybe are not viewed with with adequate sympathy given a crisis situation um and we have done a lot of effective award-winning coverage of long-term care facilities over the years um and so that was a natural thought as we realized the vulnerability of those populations um not just because of congregate settings but because this thing is is most dangerous to people who are, are of age or um, have, uh, you know, immune, damaged immune systems or have um, other health problems that can contribute uh, to vulnerabilities to this illness. Um, and then prison populations were another one that has come to our attention. And we've written previously about concerns about conditions for inmates. We particularly have focused on jails in the past. But this year we focused heavily on what's happening with the prison system. And I, I'm proud to say I think we've been uh, we we certainly have worked with some collaborative partners on this as well, but we've been among the leaders on this issue in the state. In fact, we just published um, a major investigative uh, series, um, kind of capping our year's coverage is not ending our coverage because it's going it will go into next year, but capping what we've done um, and that published in um, uh, the second week of December. So we're very proud of that work and. Um, you know, our, our news team has done some 
some some great work rising to the occasion on those issues. And there have been many others, but those have been certainly some standout ones and natural ones for us to go to. And I know, you know, we all had to come up with new systems and, and ways to analyze this issue, including the state with their release of, of data. Um, and earlier this year, I know that our news team was involved with some um, communication and in, in some case legal action with the state to make sure that as journalists, we had access to the data um, to enable us to report on the story. You want to talk about that a little? There have been some victories, but it's not over. We have an ongoing um, case where we are uh, part of a coalition. The coalition model for lawsuits related to public information has been very successful, and we're teaming up with a number of our friends in the news media and others who may, we may or may not be familiar with them, but they wish to join on and support this coalition. It helps to ease the legal burden of going after these things. Uh, and so the big win, there have been some smaller ones, of course, but the biggest one, I think, for us is that we went after information on um, the data on individual long-term care facilities and uh, the size of the outbreaks at any given time in those facilities. We made a strong appeal. We did it legally after we were ignored initially, but we made a strong appeal uh, in our case that, look, this is information, yes, the news media want it, but this is for the people in the state. That's why we want it. This ought to be, able, this ought to be available to everyone. And uh, eventually we did uh, reach an agreement, and, and that information was provided, I think, as a result of the legal pressure we brought. There are a number of other fronts, but there's information both from the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Public Safety, which runs our state's prisons, um, where there, we think there's also important information and, and some of that information is still being withheld. Uh, so it's been, you know, a game of, of inches, um, but we feel like there have been some big wins and we're going to hold our course and continue to pursue the information that we think is important for people to know. I have a strong conviction that I've had this before COVID began, and I think it's shared by um, just the whole organization at Carolina Public Press. Uh, you know, the government belongs to the people. And everybody who's in government are just caretakers, and they sometimes seem to forget that. So I think the people have a right to know what's happening. Uh, and when the government has information, that ought to be available to everyone, not just for the purpose of the, of the media doing its job. Of course, our job is accountability, but also just for the the accessibility of we the people, you know. Um, I'm a strong believer in and the democratic system not working unless we have that. And so much of COVID is about people being able to make informed uh, decisions, such as, you know, should Absolutely I pull right. my should I pull my loved one out of a nursing home? Should I advocate for my family member that is currently in a jail or a prison? That's absolutely right. And on those specific examples, and I think there are other examples too. Some of the other ones that we have ongoing things on, or somewhere we've had small gains, things like, you know, we get claims by state officials who I'm sure mean well, they're trying to keep this situation uh, under control and they're trying to control the message. And yet the message is wrong sometimes. One interesting one we did, um, Kate Martin, our lead investigative reporter, did a piece as we kept hearing state officials in uh, the spring say, well, we're seeing sustained leveling of the cases. And we went to medical experts and say, that is not what we're seeing. And that we really debunked that. And after, it was interesting that that, that phrase stopped being used um, as a result of, we think as a result of our reporting, I don't know if there was, there were other reasons they stopped using it, but, um, and we certainly saw that bore out in the numbers later on as, as like, no, we were going in the wrong direction, we're not getting better, 
but there was a big push to reopen. And of course, there were a lot of pressure from organizations that decided for some reason that COVID was a social and political uh, issue. Um, and, and so it was, you know, it was a complicated situation, but our, our job was to get information out there um, to help people to understand, you know, the, the policies that the state has or the state's uh, evaluation of its own um, handling of the case is complicated and you're getting messaged uh, and not necessarily getting the most accurate information sometimes. I want to get to other stories in a minute because other things happened in 2020 besides COVID. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I know, you know, we've had some self-reflection as a team at Carolina Public Press, and I'm sure you you and your news team as journalists of, you know, what we were capable of this year. You know, in March, you know, all sure. of a sudden we we ignited these radio broadcast capability and, you know, restarted yeah. the kicker and uh, started this emergency news team. And for audience members, that aren't aware of that, um, that was something we implemented because we anticipated newsrooms um, that may be short on staff that might have had to close an office because of an immediate quarantine. So we were offering free assistance um, from our reporting team to co-publish with them. So, you know, I look back of what all we lifted in a short time and not to pat ourselves on the back, um, but I think we learned a lot about what we could do. Yeah, I mean, the organization, aside from the news stories, did those things. We also went through a site relaunch um, and we did some undertakings we'd just never done before. We, four years ago, were a Western North Carolina-only publication, and so this was our first time covering a presidential cycle and a governor's election cycle as a statewide organization, which is very different. And um, I'm really proud of the work we did in elections, which I would say, by the way, elections is probably the number two story of the year. Um, but uh, we brought in a Report for America fellow, Jordan Wilkie, who uh, really led the way for us on our elections coverage and did an excellent job. Um, and so we're very proud of our coverage of the election story and a very multifaceted story also obviously overshadowed uh, by the impact of, of the pandemic. Uh, you know, election where a lot was happening with, with absentee ballots, with poll workers wearing masks, all kinds of things that just you wouldn't have seen previously. So it's... Um, it has been that kind of year where there are other stories that uh, were challenging as well, all of which, you know, connected in with the pandemic. And and this team has really risen to the occasion. I'm, I'm very proud of our team. And I think that segues into the next question is, is other stories of note. And you mentioned the elections, you know, everyone's covering the elections. I know, as you alluded to, you know, we took the time with Jordan and he had a, a background to be able to really drill down into all the nuances uh, and the confusion that's kind of written into the system uh, intentionally or not. That's right. And um, Jordan came to us before we knew COVID was going to be a factor and, and pitched the project that we worked on and we were enthusiastic about it with him. Um, and we knew some of it was going to be emergent as the news developed uh, and boy, was it. Uh, but, um, we came into this thinking we were doing a project focusing primarily on election integrity, looking at voting systems um, and looking at accountability. And we certainly did those things, but then we had other things that were, you know, beyond expectations. One of the things that ironically I'm most proud of is the excellent information we put out there. We did explainer stories on how do you track your ballot? Um, how, how do I know that my ballot's been counted? Um, things like that that people were extremely interested in, and um, we saw the interest in readers. And we did similar things on other fronts. We did some explainers like that on COVID, but we're realizing that that kind of in-depth information uh, directed at people who, who just need that information, need to go to a place for, for frequently asked questions on some of these issues, 
um, is really valuable. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of the two faces of Carolina Public Press. We do investigative reporting, but we also do this explanatory reporting. We think it's just very crucial at times. And um, I have to say that, that that's been an important part of our election coverage as well. And, and, and it's a strategy we're going to continue following with other stories. And looking back to other stories that we've covered, what stands out in your mind? I know you guys have a publication planned. Sure. And I will say that is going to publish, I believe, on the 31st. So coming up in a few days, then we'll go into some depth on some of these. But just just a broad overview, one of the stories we've been covering for the last two years and had a major development this year, well, more than one major development, was uh, the situation in Cherokee County with public officials who have been under investigation. Uh, and so the uh, former head of the Department of Social Services there was indicted, as was the former county attorney, um, or the former DSS attorney, I should say. Um, and there was another official indicted as well for issues that we've been following with uh, the mishandling of children um, who were taken from the parents without proper judicial authority. Um, the head of DSS who was indicted, uh, Cindy Palmer, is married to the sheriff whose administration is also under fire for unrelated, well, possibly unrelated uh, other allegations. Um, and we know that there was a major federal lawsuit filed in one of the cases we've been following there. So um, kind of a nexus of public officials uh, uh, under a lot of scrutiny. And that, that as we saw the indictments come down, um, you know, that was that was a big case. I will say that that's yet another one where it may might not have been obvious, but COVID impacted that. We ended up attending the hearings related to that. And, and you know, it's very surreal to be alone in a courthouse with one or two other people wearing a mask. It's, it's, so the environment for the way things are announced and the way um, processes throughout the state are running is different right now on, on so many fronts. Um, but that certainly was a big story. Um, we also did, uh, unrelated to uh, the prison coverage that I mentioned, we done uh, did some important coverage related to police brutality in jails. Um, one case where we were part of a legal coalition that we got information back on was uh, involving the Forsyth, uh, Forsyth County Jail, uh, where a man um, died in custody, and we we received that information as a result of part of a legal effort and we published uh, regarding it and it certainly is a sad case but it goes to the bigger story that also sparked protests nationally this summer um, and we're not done with that story that's still um, you know what's going to come of that is, is going to be seen this year and uh, there's a lot of anxiety in society around this on different parts are we going to see justice are we going to take steps that are positive are we going to overstep you know um, and so we're still watching that, but we certainly reported on those processes. We reported on the protests. We reported on the political fallout from all of that in North Carolina. Um, so that, I would say that's another one of those big stories. In a way, everything was overshadowed by COVID. If I want to talk about the economy, and the economy was a big story this year, but it's kind of the COVID-poisoned economy uh, in North Carolina. We saw the economy in places that had been doing well suddenly not doing well. Uh, we saw people struggling to stay in business. People are saying, when this is over, I'm not going to be back in business. You know, um, A very scary time for small businesses, especially for those in the hospitality industry and the tourism industry, a scary time for employees. And I understand the bitterness that's out there toward the shutdown. And, of course, that's allowed some people to try to politicize it uh, because it's tough. It's very challenging 
Um, and it's hard to explain to somebody why, you know, it's good for them to take a step that feels like it's going to cost them everything. With regard to the economy, I think that's one of those stories that's going to carry over into 2021. And my opinion is that we're going to feel it even harder next year. I, you know, I hope you're wrong, but I think you're probably right. And um, it's going to be interesting. We have a new administration coming on at the federal level. Uh, what it does or doesn't do is probably going to depend on the special elections in Georgia in part. Um, we have a different situation in the state. Just reading the tea leaves, we think that some of the policies that were enacted this year that feel like maybe half measures, um, the administration may be able to do some things because it's not running for re-election this year that it didn't do last year. I don't know. I don't know what will happen. But um, we also have the vaccine rolling out. And, of course, that's a part of the COVID story, but a separate component of it. Um, so, you know, those are all going to play. And how quickly will we get out from underneath these these um, protections or how quickly should we? How wise would that be? Um, those are certainly part of it. You know, one thing I haven't talked about yet was education. And of course, it's again, part of the COVID story, but it's a separate component that we looked at very closely this year. What's the right thing to do for students? And boy, it's been a tough question. And I think it's, it's important to look at it as a tough question. It's not a question with simple answers like, yes, we want everybody to be healthy. But at the same time, you know, how much precaution is too much? How, what are we doing to families as they try to cope during this process? Uh, has the technology really been uh, in place and has it been equitably distributed uh, to, um, to allow people to, to take advantage of online programs and so on? Um, school districts have struggled. Parents have struggled. Kids have struggled. Teachers have struggled. We, we wrote about teachers who are leaving the profession because they're so disillusioned with what's happened this year specifically in North Carolina. Um, was it the right move to give districts so much flexibility or would it have been better for the states to say, this is what we're doing, period? Um, you know, we're not in the editorial business. Uh, we're writing news. I have written opinion when I've worked at other uh, news organizations in the past. And so I, I guess in this case, I'm, I'm glad to just to be able to provide the reporting and the analysis. I'll let others weigh in on what exactly should be, but, um, we can see the issues. We see that they are challenging. And certainly education, it, it has highlighted, you know, and if anything, you know, COVID, and this relates to other news stories that we've covered and will continue to cover, it highlights some inequities in our system that um, I think that we've known for years are issues, teacher pay, you know, access to broadband, but, uh, but COVID forced us to deal with it. And I, I wonder, um, if we'll continue to deal with it. You know, once the immediacy and the urgency of COVID is gone, will we remember how bad it got? I totally agree. And the broadband issue, the technology issue is there on a lot of levels as we've, you know, many of us have gone to meetings by Zoom and um, taught classes by Zoom and all kinds of things this year. It's been very different. Um, we've also seen cases where the technology just wasn't what it should have been at, at the local level in particular, but even uh, we did some some hearings that we were involved in at the state level where it was, the state's capability was awfully pathetic. And um, I, I think that's a concern is why is our technology not up to speed? Uh, why do we have people that don't know how to conduct a virtual meeting when businesses can do it on the, you know, the turn of a dime, it seems like? Why are our governments struggling so bad to be able to do this well? And a few of them have done fine with it, but we've seen some examples where they haven't. Um, 
And some of that also goes to transparency problems that are, are systemic in the state where we feel like the pandemic has just um, brought it into focus for us. But wow, I mean, some of these, these local governments feel like they don't need to be accountable. They don't need to, to follow the rules. And, and there've been people pushing at the, at the, the margins on this. And uh, it's certainly been a concern. Um, and we'll continue to watch that. But, you know, if you have a virtual meeting where the system fails repeatedly, then it wasn't really an open meeting. You didn't really obey the open meetings law. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that there's going to have to be a reckoning on that. Uh, and that goes for what's going to happen after this pandemic is over, because we're going to still have the technology. We're still going to have occasions where these issues are going to come up. And we're still going to have public officials that want to do things out of the spotlight, and they're not supposed to do that. Well, great points, Frank. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and, and for all the work that you guys do. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate your work on The Kicker and the other work you do for us at Carolina Public Press. And uh, I will say I'm very proud of our team this year. Um, it's been a challenging year, and I felt like um, it, it's been great to work with a great team of individuals who are very committed uh, to delivering information to the people of North Carolina. You can find our urine review on our website this Friday, December 31st, as well as other stories Frank referenced in our interview. I'm your host, Stephanie Carson. Thanks for joining us.